cliffcentral.com. Right, it's time for the burning platform. Let's find out what um, we're up uh, to this morning. And first of all, my co-host ever, Pumi Mashiko. It's good to see you, Pums. And um, for those people who come only for the burning platform, remember to subscribe and like and all that stuff. Otherwise, I get into trouble. Subscribe and like, like and subscribe. You know how it goes. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it today. Thank you very much. Also, our guest this morning is Ernst Roots. Hey, Ernst, nice to see you. Oh, hang on. The show. Thanks for having me. There we go. Right. Um, so Ernst is the head of policy and action at the civil rights group AfriForum. He's also the chairperson of AfriForum's streaming service, AfriForum TV, and also the chair of AfriForum's think tank, OpenAw. In his free time, he plays the lead guitar in an Afrikaans metal band called Soms Vendi Wolf and is sometimes caught <laughs> skateboarding. Yeah, you're not boring, Ernst. We can definitely say that. You've also spent quite a lot of time traveling in the last few years trying to uh, explain what's going on in South Africa to people who might not know or people who are curious. And um, it's good to have you on the show this morning. Pumi and I had a whole bunch of questions for you know, Barry Bateman the other day, and some of them I thought that the best person to answer some of these is probably you. So that was our first Hi. motivation for getting you on. But you've been doing a bit of a tour um, explaining what AfriForum is all about. So let's start off there so that people who've never, mm. ever heard, what does AfriForum do? Uh, what, what, is, what is the reason that you guys exist? What is your main job inside of AfriForum? Give us the, 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 over, the overview, the bird's eye view. Yes, yeah, so AfriForum is a civil rights organization. Uh, we function on um, members. Uh, so we recruit members, uh, and members make a monthly donation to our work. And that's how we fund our activities. Uh, we are part of what is called the Solidarity Movement, which is a network of organizations uh, uh, with, uh, which started around the trade union solidarity. Um, we were founded in about in 2006. Um, and just a bit of a context as to why AfriForum was founded also explains what we are doing. So Solidarity is a trade union. It comes from the the Christian tradition of trade unions. So when you think about trade unions, you typically think about a more socialist type organization. But there's also a, a, a tradition of trade unions that places emphasis um, on um, on things like family and things like like uh, culture and and uh, responsibilities and, and and so forth and encouraging mm -hmm. people to work hard and 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 stuff like that, as opposed to an emphasis on on marching and striking and so forth. Um, and as is the case with trade unions, usually is uh, trade unions are involved with stuff that are broader than just labor-related issues. Yeah. And we've come to notice within solidarity that, um, or they came to notice. I wasn't. I was only involved with the youth back then. That there are a lot of issues that need to be tackled, especially in South Africa. There's a there's a, a wide sphere of things that need to be addressed that are outside the sphere of labor issues. So much that it would deflect attention. That that it would shift the core focus. And so AfriForum was founded. And so the easy way to explain it, uh, if people sometimes ask what's the difference between AfriForum and Solidarity, and the easy way to explain it is Solidarity focuses on your rights um, as a worker inside the workforce and AfriForum on your rights outside the realm of, of labor-related issues. Yeah, AfriForum have obviously made quite a lot of noise in some court cases recently, and it would be remiss of me to not uh, at least dwell on those for a moment or two. When do you guys decide that it's worth taking up an issue? Um, because obviously legal, you know, legal costs are very high in South Africa. 
Um, if you're doing it for shits and giggles because you've got millions of rands in the bank, that's a different story. Why do AFRI Forum, <laughs> why do you choose certain cases and not choose others? And, you know, there are a lot of people who will cynically accuse you guys of just looking for attention in some cases. Um, and in others, mm. people will say, well, why are you even doing that? That's got nothing to do with your mandate. Um, how does it work? How do you yeah. make those decisions? Well, um, so firstly, in terms of how we operate, we uh, we have uh, an agreement with a law firm, uh, Herder Spies Attorneys. So they're a, an independent law firm. They do their own work, but they also have a contract with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we're in communication with them on a regular basis, as in every day. Um, and and how we, we decide which court cases to take on is, is uh, we, uh, we've gotten to a place now where it's pretty quick, for us, easy for us to decide because we know we've got a good sense in the organization of what are the type of cases that we take on and which don't we take on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, it depends on the, the, the nature of the case. We usually discuss it internally. Uh, if, it's, if it's more urgent, we discuss it on WhatsApp. Uh, we have a meeting every two weeks on, on a Monday where we, we go through big court cases coming up and potential court cases. So usually we would discuss it there. It's an exec, uh, executive meeting. But there are some things that we have come to decide in terms of uh, or agree on in terms of how we take on a court case. And one example is we often, very often, get sent screenshots or links of people inciting violence on social media, for example. Right. Then we would be asked to take them to court. And, And our approach, broadly speaking or generally speaking, is we don't take on individual cases. In other case, uh, in other words, we don't go to court on behalf of a particular person who was discriminated against unless that particular matter has far-reaching consequences and taking that matter to court would have a wider impact on on society at large. And when it comes to things like hate speech, our broad approach is we don't take, uh, we don't go to court, uh, we don't ask for court orders against people who have no political influence. So if there's some random guy who just wants attention on social media and he starts publishing hate speech, it, you know, there's probably cool reason to take a, someone like that to court, but our broad approach is if it's if it's someone with significant influence, if it's someone with with a large following, a leader of a political party or a member of parliament who incites violence, then it's a different matter. So broadly speaking, the the question, one of the big questions for us is is what would the impact of this case be? Is it a right. bigger in, bigger uh, impact type of case, or is it only related to a smaller type of incident? What sort of membership do you guys have, Ernst, and, and, um, and, and, and what kind of funding do you guys manage to, to get from those members? Because a lot of civil society initiatives, civil rights businesses, activist groups, whatever they might be, don't get to be as influential as you are. I mean, obviously, that's thanks to your members. How, how many people are we talking about here? I'll get you the latest number, uh, which was sent to me. Um, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yesterday we had three hundred and four thousand four hundred and fifty-nine members. Um, okay. So, so our approach is, and that's a big, an important difference between Afri Forum and um, and a political party is we're not uh, we are democratic, but we're not a, de- a political party in the sense that that we have um, members getting together and then we have a conference and then the members decide what the policies are. Yeah. Uh, and members vote to change the policies and, and things like that. Um, that's, in theory, how political parties work, even though in practice, not really. Um, <laughs> um, 
if, if the EFF votes to become a free market uh, party, um, I'm sure that would not happen. So, so as an example, so, so our approach is different. We're a company. We're registered in terms of the Companies Act. Okay. We're an NGO, so it's a, a non-profit company. It used to be called a Section 21 company, right? which means that we don't have shareholders. We don't pay out dividends. You can't buy shares in Afri Forum or anything like that. Um, the, the money that we get, we don't pay out to someone else. We use that money in, in our right. um, operations. And um, our approach is we decide what our policies are. Obviously, there's communication throughout with our members, so it's important for us to stay in touch with our members. We do polls. We speak with them regularly, um, daily, and so forth. Um, and, and with our members, we decide what our policy positions are, and we campaign on that. And our approach is... If you agree with what we are doing, you can join the organization. Um, and, and it's worked out very, very well for us. We don't have any corporations you know, funding every forum. We haven't gotten any money from government ever, um, and we don't want to accept money from government. Uh, we, we've worked on particular projects where someone would say, well, we want to be a sponsor for this particular project. So that happens sometimes um, when we would have, let's say, a, f- a festival of some kind and some... Um, local business would say we want to sponsor this. So we do that. Um, so we don't get zero money money from com- other companies, but that's the exception. The, so and, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like 300,000, you know, a lot of people say that you guys are a very big player and you punch above your weight. But 300,000 by, by measure of the population is not a huge number of people. And and it, it's true then to say that your influence is, is greater than your, your membership would betray. Um, Pums, you must have some questions. I mean, we had quite a lot of overflow when we had Barry on the other day and stuff that you probably a better place to answer. So let's get straight into it. And then I do want us to look at some mm. some big international stories. I want to look at, at some of the big things happening in this country and hear your opinion on those two, Ernst and Pumi. Pums, yeah. over to you. <laughs> you know, I, I love that you, you're defined as a civic organization. And I'm quite interested to know, what the ideal looks like for AfriForum. What does the ideal look like when South Africa is working and there is no longer a need for civic organizations? What does that look like? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So we often say that, that if we succeed in, in our goals, then we would have to close AfriForum. Um, so the, the ideal for an organization like us is that, that we want to close shop, that there's no need for us anymore. We, Obviously, it's idealistic, but um, it's something that you can work for. So, so the big thing for us in terms of the current situation in, in, in South Africa, and it's, it's something that we've been, we have been pushing to an extent recently, and we're going to be pushing this topic much more in future, is, is the, whole quest, the whole issue of federalism, or, or you could call it decentralization of power, or you can call it autonomy. And, and what we mean by that is, is we or believe… separate development. Uh, just say that again. Or separate development. N- no, no, it's not separate development. Um, <laughs> it's, it's decentralization of power is not the same as, as separate development. Decentralization of power means that that local communities have uh, the USA, for example, is a is a is a federal country. Uh, Switzerland is is a federal country. Um, so so federalism. So Switzerland's a good example. If if we go down the street today and we ask people who's the president of Switzerland, almost no one knows who the president of Switzerland is. But despite that, Switzerland is one of the most successful countries in the world. Um, and and I think 
that's part of the issue here. Most of the problems in South Africa currently can, as far as we are concerned, can be traced back to to the fact that, that we have a central government with a lot of power over local communities uh, with whom they are not in touch. Um, they don't they not they don't have a proper feeling for a lot of issues on ground level. And and a federal system is one way you can have a central government, but there's more authority vested in local communities. For example, more more authority in more power for the provinces as opposed to the central government. But then again, then also more power for for municipalities. So so I think part of part of one of the main issues also with with uh, with the apartheid government or the central development system is that it had a very strong central government. Um, and, and I mean, we've tried different forms of strong central governments in this in this um, country. So we, but we're not anarchists in the sense that we believe there should be no government or there should be no state or anything like that. But our, our approach is that decentralization of power, in other words, less power for a president or a cabinet or a parliament and more power for local communities to to decide on issues themselves and also to decide how their tax money should be spent. Um, yeah, I think that's – isn't that a, a kind of a trend that's happening worldwide, though, is this idea of devolution? You know, we see uh, in, in many places that people want their local government to have more authority, more power, and take more control of the spending because they're the, they're the ones that you interface with almost on a more regular basis than the national government. How often does the average South African actually deal with the national government? Obviously – in this country too many times, which is why we've got issues around service delivery. And nobody really knows who to take that up with. Um, you know, if, if we mm-hmm. if we actually knew our ward councillors, and Pumi and I talk about this often because we're all on WhatsApp groups and things, you know, the people who you know in your neighborhood should be the ones that you should be able to vote for. And they're the ones who should have the power to be able to make things better or worse, depending on what their mandate is. Yeah, and, and the typical reality usually is you would speak to your ward councillor about an issue in your community, and they would often respond by saying, well, this is outside of my powers. I would have to take it to this particular meeting or to mm-hmm. this. Um, I would have to go to the provincial council or something like this, or there's some national legislation that prevents me from doing this. And you can, and obviously you should have national legislation, but but um, I think that's part of the, the issue here is that, that local governments are – do not have authority to intervene when they should intervene. And, and you're right, they are, it, it has been a trend recently. The world went through a weird stage, um, and I, it seems like we're stepping out of it, where in the 90s there was a lot of talk about you know, New World Order. Mm-hmm. There was that famous George Bush speech about, about uh, I think the way he framed it was, was supplanting the law of the jungle with the rule of law. And, and what he meant by that was, well, we can debate on what he meant by that, but I think one of the consequences of that is this whole thing about about sort of centralizing or standardizing on American Western ideas and trying to convince the rest of the world that they should they should be like the Americans or they should be like the West. Yeah, um, and that obviously failed uh, spectacularly. Completely. Yeah, yeah, and and so um, it seems to me that we're moving out of that mind frame now, which um, I hope is true. I hope my observation is correct. And there are some very interesting things coming up in terms of different forms of government. Um, so one example we often refer to is the Tyrolians. So Tyrol is, or North South Tyrolians as they call themselves. Tyrol used to be the north of Swiss, Switzerland and 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 Switzerland. Austria, a big part of Austria. Yeah. 
and and now South Tyrol, as as it is known, is actually the northern province of Italy called Alto Adige. Um, but it's mostly uh, German people living there, not Italians. So the Italians are actually a minority in that province. And so what the Tyrolians do is they have a, a you can call it an agreement with, with the Italian government that it's an autonomous province. And what that means is that particular province has, has because it's not entirely the same as the rest of Italy, it has different views. Ah, but and but Ernst, culture. I mean, this, this is where Pumi has a point about how it does tend to sound like, I mean, Coming from your point of view at Afri Forum, and this is what you guys get a lot of criticism for, um, is your interests are fairly narrow because you're, I mean, th- this is, this is a, a fair criticism if you ask me, because you're representing your members and your members are largely Afrikaans speaking and self-determination is only a few steps away from kind of the idea that you should be a separate entity entirely from the national government. I mean, we've seen people compare what you guys do to what they've tried to do in Urania, for example. And while that's good or bad, and that's open to interpretation, there is this idea that, well, obviously AfriForum are going to take the view that, you know, a small community of people who are culturally similar and homogenous would want to govern themselves and almost completely become a satellite of, of the national government. And how possible is that really? How practical is that in a country like mm. South Africa? I mean, we often hear people saying the Western Cape is already a different country in some ways. Is, is there yeah. something wrong with the way we think? Is there something wrong with the way that they think? What's the, what's the, the line here? Because it seems a bit blurry. Right, Pums? Yeah. Well, well I think the... the the only thing that would be more difficult than than um, trying to give authority some form of authority or some form of of um, recognition to local communities, particularly including cultural communities such as as Afrikaners or Afrikaans speaking people, if you want to use that as, as reference, mm-hmm. the only thing that would be more difficult than achieving that is to try to make the current system work. Um, the, the system that we're in currently is not working. Um, and, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but the, I think we've gotten to a point where, where there was this big hype about being South African in the 1990s. And that has, uh, to an extent, Petered diluted. Out a bit. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you, the you, whole could, thing you about, could see it. I mean, the, the, the amount of fuss made of Mandela Day on Monday was kind of, it was like a, you know, a whimper. It wasn't like it used to be before. And he used to be the central figure around which we... We built our national you know, identity. You know, so, I mean, when, when we started, the reason I started with the, con- with the question that says, what, what does the ideal look like, right? Is I kind of think on one side of the spectrum, you separate and minorities. We spoke earlier in the last hour about the Khoisan mm-hmm. who have been, and, and when we talk about minorities in South Africa, you know, we, we kind of have to, we have to look at it in terms of what constitutes a minority, you know, where yeah. uh, there, there is a huge drive around a lot of the cases uh, that AfriForum does make a noise about is Afrikaans, for instance, and whether, uh, I don't even know what his name is right now, from the MEC for Education in Gauteng has a problem with Afrikaans and African schools and having Afrikaans as a language in schools. And, and at the same time, I asked myself, Panyaza yeah. and at the same time, I asked myself, you know, that, that what, where, where do we, where do we draw the line? And at which point do we move 
to an ideal and what does that ideal look like mm. without wanting to hark back to what it used to be because it's romantic sometimes to look backwards right and and you know we talk about the Khoisan and I was thinking about the Lubedu I'm sure you know about the Lubedu uh, and and their language doesn't even exist in the languages that are South African languages, whereas mm-hmm. Afrikaans is the third most spoken language after Zulu and Kosa in yeah. South Africa, right? So mm-hmm. how do we get how do you, these How do you divide it up? Say? I mean, Pums, this is a really good question. It's something I've often tangled with because people like to make it so um, simplified, and, and we're not a simplified country. We're very complex. And Ernst, maybe you can also shed some light on this. How granular do we get when it comes to dividing ourselves up? Is it language? Is it culture? Is it tribal identity is it historicity you know kind of when who came where and and is it geographical even because we look at provinces that are completely mixed up i mean it used to be that the you know the free state mostly you could speak afrikaans and sisutu and people would understand you that's not true anymore um in in gauteng it used to be mostly i suppose in the in the early part of the last century uh mostly sitswana afrikaans and maybe a little bit of english now I would say predominantly Sizulu is spoken in most of the of the townships of Gauteng. So how would you figure that? How do you how do you because if you get too granular, it becomes it's not a nation anymore. Then we may as well just separate into a bunch of provinces and become balkanized. Yeah, so so the, the early philosophers who spoke about the state or who sort of laid the groundwork for what we now call the, the modern state, people like like Thomas Hobbes and, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau and so forth, they spoke about, um, and John Locke as well to an extent, spoke about the, the artificial community um, and, and the natural community as opposed to the artificial community. And what they meant by that is that the state is an artificial community and they, they meant it as a good thing. So, so it's this new thing that we're building and particularly not only the state, the statist identity. So we're building the state and now your identity is defined by by the state. Um, and, and South Africa is a good example. We become South Africans. Uh, we weren't South Africans in the past. We had different identities. And now we have the South African government, and now we are South Africans. And there was this whole thing about supplanting the natural um, community with an artificial community. That's Again, that's how they framed it. So your natural identity could be things like your religious identity, your cultural identity, the thing that you you naturally think of yourself as mm-hmm. uh, or used to think of yourself as in the past and and i think part of the problem here is is that there's also the word artificial is a strange word for them to use because to me it's a negative term um, and i think there's a negative spin off uh, in precisely that is when you deal with an artificial community or when you deal with the idea that south africa is a very diverse country but we found this state we become south africans uh, we're all not necessarily all the same, but we all have a lot of things in common, um, and we need to focus on that. The moment you start um, pushing that through in, in laws, in legislation, it creates friction um, on, on ground sure. level because you, you implement things that people don't necessarily think are important. And, and so to get to your question, I don't think the answer lies in um, – having more legislation or having not even more legislation, having legislation to define how do we, how do we identify ourselves or how should, uh, you know, how, you know, how should we, we structure society? The, the answer should be in, in, in a more organic approach um, so that people can decide for themselves and, and people have multiple identities. I mean, I'm, 
part of the Afrikaans speaking community, but I'm also part of the Afrikaner community, which are two different things. The one is a language community. The other one is a cultural community, mm. but I'm also a Christian. And there are many people who are Christians who would say that they, they are not Afrikaners. They don't associate with that. Um, and, but I'm also South African. Um, so, so you can have multiple identities. And I think when, when we get to a point where, where different identities compete with each other, or the one is, is, what one identity experiences that it's being under pressure from another one. Um, cause but we've been told that in South Africa, but that, but that's, you can be uh, and, But isn't that inevitable? Yeah. I mean, isn't human interaction anywhere in the world inevitably going to result in, in friction because people rub up against each other? You can see it in neighborhoods. Like your tree hangs over your neighbor's garden and there's an yeah. issue, you know? So these are things that we have to learn to deal with. Are we going to give up on the South African project because, yes, our borders are completely artificial? I mean, you know, people who are uh, Debele in South Africa are Matabele in Zimbabwe, but that's an artificial border that was set up by, you know, countries that have long ago evacuated and, and, and left this, this continent from a power point of view. How, how do we, figure the way forward though Ernst because mm. you guys are standing up for your community and and that is laudable I don't think anyone in the world would say there's anything wrong with that and you go around and you explain the position of Afrikaans people and of minorities in South Africa and you've also as Afri Forum done some work for other minorities who are not Afrikaans and white I understand that mm. but where do we draw the line like Pumi and I are just a bit confused and I think a lot of people are as to what the ideal would be. Is it a, t a totally devolved state where it's all so granular that people really just form little enclaves and those enclaves don't have anything to do with each other? And it's almost like an anarchic system where mm -hmm. local, local authorities are, it's, it's almost tribal. I mean, like that's, that's kind of the, the ultimate extreme on the one side. And the other one is we have this big central government. We're told what South Africa is and we all just have to fit in or fuck off. I mean, which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good point. So, so firstly, I, I, my, my reference to, to pressure uh, and friction is not that we should try to have a system where there's no friction. Friction is also a good thing. But the concern is this, this links back to the point about, about, our, but the point about federalism in the beginning is you have, you have a degree of friction in society, which is normal. Um, and you have, you know, contradicting opinions and contradicting, you can even call it identities or things that sprout from different identities that contradict each other. Um, but the problem is now when you have a, a strong central government that decides on behalf of society as a whole, what is right and what is wrong. And then captures that in legislation, um, and and that's that's. I don't think. I mean, we we are Democrats, and we're very much in favour of democracy. But but we need to remember there's a difference between um, the, democracy is not just simply everyone can vote. Democracy is much more than that. Democracy is a. We often say the test of whether democracy is a well-functioning democracy is more than just do people have rights and can people vote. The the test is also do minority communities who are not sufficiently represented or properly represented in, in parliament um, or do not have political authority or power rather, uh, do they also feel that they are protected? Mm. And I think, and I'm not just speaking for, for about Afrikaners, I think minority communities in general in South Africa feel that they're not protected. Uh, but I, I want to make a point about your second comment what? there because that's, yes, you want to, you want to yeah, add on? I, I, I want to say about, I, you know, <sighs> A, a lot, of, and and Gareth, you, I I think you you understand me and what I'm 
trying to understand about Afriforum, right? But a lot of it seems very amoebous, right? Kind of really not quite definable as in, and it's, it's just reminding me of, and there are two things. One, when we talk about representation, and this is why I'm a big fan of the way that our constitution is, and also the way that we have proportional representation in parliament versus a winner takes all, is that actually we have proportional representation. Even if you are not the outright winner, of the election, you still get to have representation proportional to the number of votes that you were able to get. You know, so there, there is a representation available for everyone it's built, it's in every in. community. It's built in. It's baked into the cake. Well, but and 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 that's why that that is why our constitution kind of gets the admiration that it does all over the world because it it gives credence to all of those varying parts. But mm. I just also listening to this undefinable kind of what is the minority, what is the function, where are we, is reminding me of, and funny, it it was first published in 1908 by uh, Churchill, wrote a book called My African Journey. And mm. in it, he, he writes about white men in Africa, his experience, because he traveled uh, on the continent as a young man, before he became a statesman. And and one of the things that he says there as he's traveling around is there's just, there's this sense, and, and his quote is, there is a sense every white man seems to feel a sense of undefinable oppression. And that's what I'm hearing here. It's undefinable, this oppression that, that, that you, and, I, and I'm kind of feeling a little bit like we need to talk about other things because we can't define it and it's kind of moving and amorphous. The world is on fire. I said this in the last hour. There are so many things and I think that the world has turned upside down. And one of the things well, that I'm quite interested to know is AfriForum's view and stance with Mkwebane, um, for instance, with what's, you know, the what's happening with Mkwebane mm. in Parliament and the impeachment right. process. Let's, let's get, it, let's get into specifics. Now that we questions um, to the I mean, President, let's, let's go, talk let's, about Let's that. go to that because I think that's quite, that's quite important. I mean, Ernst, you and, you and Pumi and I could probably talk about political philosophy and ideology and, you know, the kinds of political systems. We could talk for hours. I don't know that it'll interest anybody but the three of us. So let's get to some <laughs> specifics because I think we've given <laughs> this enough legroom. Uh, tell us about Busisiwe Mkwebane and your, and your position on her, because I think she has become a major carbuncle on the political landscape, and she's just not moving. She's also getting support from some strange areas. What do you make of it? I, I, yeah, I, I just want to make one quick comment about the undefinable thing, because I, I don't think what AfriForum is doing is hard to define at all. Okay. There's a very, I can define it in one or two, one sentence, and that's, AfriForum is an inclusive Afrikaner organization that seeks to build mutual recognition and respect between different communities and that seeks to, to decentralize, uh, to have a more decentralized political system in, in South Africa. Um, in, in terms of, of the public protector, it's, it's been an ongoing issue. And it's not only the public protector, it's the, the Chapter 9 institutions um, in, in general, I think, uh, have become quite problematic um, in, in the sense that it, it goes back to, to this issue about the constitution as well. And, um, I, I want to make it specific, but I think there's a broader picture issue here is, is we have a fantastic constitution if you read the text, but then if you, re, if you look at what's, how, what's, what's the reality in South Africa or how it's being implemented, then they, suddenly we bump into a lot of problems. 
and and the the irony here is that the public protector is one of the better functioning chapter nine institutions. There are other institutions that are just completely absent. They get money from government, but there's just nothing happening. Mm. Like the the section one eight five institution uh, uh, commission, which is supposed to to work for for um, uh, different communities, religious, cultural communities, and so forth. In in terms of the public protector, I think the the bigger the the issue here is that we have a government that it, I mean, it, it seems fairly easy that for, for, for the problem to be dealt with. And I'm not going to say if she should be fired or shouldn't be fired. But, but the thing is here that, that it should not be this difficult for a president to deal with um, or a government or a cabinet to deal with. Uh, but, but the issue here is we have a ruling party that is so mixed up in internal friction and it's, it's, it's basically falling apart or at least on the verge of falling apart. And, People who are in positions of power within the ruling party, who are also in positions of power in, in the South African government, have to be first and foremost concerned about managing things so that their party don't fall apart. And now we've reached, the, we've reached some form of a deadlock where, where if you make some form of a decision, we're on the verge of the ruling party falling apart. So uh, on, that, on that note, what do you think of, of the president's uh, leadership over the last uh, while and, and where his priorities lie? Well, the, the, he made a comment before he became president when he was campaigning um, during an, uh, some speech at an, a, a rally where he said that he would rather be, and, and those were his words, not mine, he said that he would rather be a weak president than to be president over an ANC that splits or that divides. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, he's keeping his promise because he, I really do think his main priority is to keep the ruling party from, from breaking up. And there's some serious concerns that it might break up and there's some serious concerns that it might lose, um, you know, there's some serious internal friction. And so he's in this deadlock at the moment where, where um, he just doesn't seem to be able to make decisions. And, and when he makes a decision, it's almost always that we have to establish a commission mm. uh, to advise us or some committee. We need there a discussion. A, a, we need a uh, conversation. It's, it's, let's talk some more. Yeah, yeah, there, there was an, 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 a, an infographic that was doing the rounds on social media, like a, um, uh, a time table, you could say, of when did he become president and, and what were the major decisions he's taken, especially when it comes to commissions. And I can't remember the amount. There must have been more than a dozen um, commissions. 25. Or advice. <laughs> Sorry? 25. Yeah, 25. That's it. That's Currently. It. Yeah. And, 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 and so there's an issue about the commissions as well where, uh, I mean, we could talk about the Zondo Commission, for example. It's, it's, there's a debate, uh, um, I mean, I've been having a debate with some colleagues, um, uh, which I think was very, very um, intriguing as to is this a good thing or not. And the reason why the Zondo Commission is a good thing is because there's a proper investigation into what's happening with state capture and what's happening with corruption and these things that nobody knew about are suddenly coming to the fore right. and people are taking notice. But the reason why it's a bad thing is... I must just warn you, Ernst, you are talking to Pumi, who is the only person who's read all the state capture reports from beginning to end. Oh. She's, she's an expert on them, and she's my only uh, reference point when it comes to the Zondo Commission. So, so she, I'll, I'll gladly stand corrected. Um, but the reason why it's a bad thing is I think a lot of these people could have been prosecuted before. It wasn't necessary to have a commission. Mm. 
to, to prosecute a lot of these people. Um, and, and now that the commission has done its work, the question is, will they be prosecuted in any case? Right. Um, and so, so establishing the point that I'm trying to make is establishing some form of a government commission or advisory panel. I think we've gotten to the point where it becomes an excuse not to take action. Uh, you don't want to make a decision. So establish, you establish a commission. Yeah. Um, and yes, there's a good argument as to why the commission is particularly the Zonda commission was a good thing. But but we don't see political leadership in this country. We just see commissions and advisory. Panels. Yeah, well, it started. We we set the we set the pace. You in the way that we started with the TRC. So we started our country with the commission, which mm. which set the tone mm. for how we go on. And I, I was I was reading a very fascinating article a couple of days ago, that that's actually um, I read it in the Atlantic. So it's not, but it references South Africa too. Uh, about the, di- the the dilemma of white liberals in particular in America and in South Africa, it talks about. We started like that. We set out a commission to to kind of ventilate all of these things, and then there was no holding to account. Yeah. By mm. and large, there was no holding to account in other countries, in Germany, in a, a week and a half ago in. Mexico, I think they're trying 93 year old men <laughs> for, you, you know, people were held to account. People were taken through a trial. People were hanged and shot for the atrocities of what, but we created a country that starts with the commission that then doesn't hold anybody to account. And so we are just carrying on in mm. that way, you know, so that's just the thing. But I, I do want to say, you know, the, the issue, there are a couple of issues that you're raising, Ernst, and the thing about Mkwebane for me is this is absolutely the right thing, right? He, she is sitting uh, as a Chapter 9 institution, not being held to account by the executive, which would largely be the president and the ANC and all of their factional stuff, but by parliament. And the parliamentary commission before which she sits is... That's why I was saying, you know, that we have a representative parliament. That parliamentary uh, committee that she's sitting on is representative of all of the parties that are sitting in parliament. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the ANC that's make, that's asking questions that's going to make this decision. That committee is an, you know, this is where um, our your parliamentarian, and we were talking about it last week, and I said, you know, it's it's sad that we, the people, have relegated our responsibility so much, we don't even know who our parliamentary representatives are. Yeah. I I was I remember a time, I mean, Helen Sussman, when she was in parliament, used to be called the honorable representative of Houghton. We don't know who yeah. the yeah. is. Right. And you should be we able don't. to identify that person so that you can phone them up and yeah. hold them to account. Then you know, as they sit in that parliamentary committee, that this every forum representative comes, yep. not every forum representative, FF representative, I'm sorry about that, Ernst, <laughs> uh, is coming from, is the parliamentarian who is the representative of Orania. So that you can phone them up. You can go Mm -hmm. to the constituency office and hold them accountable. We have allowed that to be. We've let the ANC take control and wag the dog, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds, I, I, I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but just from the observer's point of view, it does sound like there's quite a lot of common ground here. And I think a lot of South Africans are very pissed off with the current state of affairs, which is which is probably advantageous to an organization like AFRI Forum. Have you seen a surge in, in support just as a very quick yes or no answer 
because I think yes, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. All right, so guys, Uh, in the interests of finding something we can disagree about more heartily, because people like that on the show, and I'm not, I'm not pitting, I'm not doing what they do on the morning shows in America where they, you know, bring two people on who have different opinions. Let's talk about the international stuff because I know Ernst has got some really insightful thoughts on what's going on in America, China, what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine. I know Pumi's also very deep in these stories. So let's get into them. Pums, do you want to start with Russia, Ukraine, and maybe we get some insight there from both of you? Did you see the pictures of not just Russia and Ukraine? I Very interesting to see uh, Vladimir Putin with the lead of Iran. Very interesting yes. to see him shaking hands. And and for me, it's we spoke a little bit about this ages ago on the show, is the shifting sands of world politics and where power is beginning to devolve to, mm-hmm. you know? So, unfortunately, Joe Biden is not doing a great job keeping, keeping America at the helm of what they used to call the free world. That power has completely shifted. You know, you see Iran shaking hands with Russia. You see the oil price and you're like, hmm... How's that going to shake up for us? Well, you know, Vladimir Putin said he said this just yesterday in in a press conference. He said, as specialists, he points at the media, you would know that the crisis, the food crisis, emerged from the times of the anti-pandemic measures, where some well-developed countries abused their monopoly power. In terms of current monopolies, this is what he said to all those gathered journalists, and he said part of his move on securing those provinces in the Ukraine, which are mostly Russian, is to secure food. And he says that the, the America is now going to become a net importer of food. And he feels that they're, no, they're in no position to be shouting the odds to the rest of the world. Food security is a part of this discussion, is it not? And Ernst, this brings us back to AfriForum in South Africa and a lot of your mm-hmm. representation of farmers, for example, which has a lot to do with our food security. What do you have to say about Russia and the Ukraine and, and Pumi's comments? Well, it's it's very interesting what's happening there, and and um, there, there's a bigger debate to be had about you know global politics and how should things be be structured. I think it's very unfortunate that um, it's it's always difficult to comment about the views of citizens in another country, but but I want to talk about America's role and in the sense that I, I think America's biggest um, threat. There's probably a better word is not so much Russia as it is China. Um, and so the three big global powers are probably, you know, is, um, would be America, Russia, and China. And I would have thought that um, as someone standing on the sideline commenting on American politics, that, that for the Americans, they would have wanted to, um, to probably strengthen ties and, and relationships with, with, uh, with Russia. Uh, that didn't happen, I know, and America has a history about the Cold War and all of that, so so that's understandable. Uh, and I think this this is the result of a friction that's been building up for quite some time. And I'm I'm curious about these sanctions also. So I heard, for example, I was in Hungary recently, and when I was there, there was a debate about who sh- should we support the sanctions or not. Uh, sh- when I say we, should the Hungarians, they were debating about it, and they actually decided that they're not going to support the sanctions. And the reason why is they figured that. The sanctions might hurt Russia, but it's going to hurt Hungary even more. Um, so, so I think the issue here, and, and this is not my field of expertise, Russian politics, uh, but, but the, the question at least is to what extent has Russia been, to what extent are they sanction proof? In other words, hmm. um, in what extent can they withstand sanctions and stuff like that? 
or to what extent is this really hurting them and 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 you know influencing them or swaying them to take a different course of action um i'm not convinced that that the way the world is reacting reacting currently is is swaying the russian government and and because i i'm not sure if it's really if it has that bigger impact as people would like to believe you know but i i do think and just to to bring it home a little bit it's important to understand what's happening in world politics so that we understand how that impacts us and more than that what we can do next for me that's the most important thing is looking at what how things are and how things are evolving what do we do next you know south africa is currently sitting very precariously in an environment where we have the highest inflation we've had in almost 16 years i think the number was we were talking about the interest rates high interest rate hikes that are likely to be announced this afternoon we're looking at petrol prices i mean i have to think long and hard am i going to drive to the studio because mm-hmm. i have no load shedding <laughs> or am i going to drive to my office and will there be power this is like yeah. bullshit that we have to think about that because yeah. it does mean that in a country like south africa where we have a 64% unemployment rate Jesus. where we have 30 million south africans living on less than 20 rand a day mm. what does that mean for us and how do we change our situation that is why we're interested in what policies the ruling party propagates in their policy conference that's coming up in a few weeks time oh, what wow. policies yeah. are they talking about because those policies if they win the election in 2024 become national policy. Right. I'm also very interested to know what policies is Action SA talking about. We never hear that. What policies <laughs> is the DA talking about? We mm. never hear that because we 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 live in this world that kind of has closed out is so interested in this manufactured outrage about little things like Angola. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and and these are the bigger issues, you know, even as we talk about the thriving or the opportunity for minority uh minorities to thrive in south africa the truth of the matter is no minority is going to thrive with those kinds of numbers yeah absolutely i i think there's another lesson from from what's happening in ukraine for minorities in south africa um and that is that ukraine have friends who are very far away and they have enemies who are right next door hmm. uh, and 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 it's it's something to be said to every forum we we're trying to build good relations with with you know people all over the world but there's no point in having good relations with with people in America or people in England or the Netherlands or wherever if we don't have good relations in South Africa um so um so we that's it really is a, a very high priority for every forum is we talk about bonding and bridging so bonding is is um within our own community to show to our members that we are on their side and we are we do represent them and when they feel strongly about something we are going to push this but when we talk about bridging we talk about building bridges between communities and 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 working together and building bridges does not mean we're going to you know show up at some other community and tell them all right we have the solution we have the answer uh, this is what you should be doing it's it's about going to another community and listening to them and and listening to their experiences and and so forth um and and so i think that's also an important point but but the point you're making is 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 very valid i mean we we there's a there's a 
there's an intellectual discussion to be had about Russia and Ukraine, but the fact of the matter is that, that people are experiencing it uh, as, well, uh, on a ground level as well. Well, Ernst, now you can in, see why now you can see why I need Pumi on the show. I mean, if we just cut that uh, little uh, tirade of hers out now, that would probably hit home with more people than anything I've said in the last three weeks on the show. No, it's it, it, but it's exactly right. Listen, those numbers are staggering. I mean, the unemployment is just outrageous. You guys are not a political party, but bringing it back home for a second, what can we do to immediately arrest this decline, to immediately stop, in, in your opinion, as a citizen, not even representative of AFRI Forum now, as an ordinary guy in society, what are your biggest concerns? What have you put up with in the last while that has annoyed you, frustrated you, made you feel like, you know, South Africa is not something that you can see a future for? And where do you find the, the positive hope to keep on going and to, and to keep on doing things for the members of AFRI Forum, even though you're just a citizen? Yeah, well, I would say there are two things, and they, they seem contradictory. Um, so the first is the point I've been making earlier is is to push for and to become more involved in, in some form of a decentralized government that you don't have have a, a government who can just um, – who, who can make – who are not in touch, let's just put it this way, yeah. in, with, with local communities. But then on the other side, the I think another important thing is for people to, to accept that – we cannot wait for government or we cannot wait for some form of of um, um, change in government structure or something like that. We need to accept responsibility for where we are and what we can do. And some, some people can do a lot and some people can do very little. But but really pushing, for example, to start a business. And I know it's very difficult to start a business in South Africa. Also, well, because of the, the circumstances that, that Pumi was talking about, but then also because of regulation and, and things like that. Uh, but the, the, the overarching point here, and this is probably the main theme in AFRI Forum, is, is do something. We, we have a saying, self doing is as better as next in. You know, doing yeah. something is better than doing nothing. Um, so even if it's very small, whatever you can do within your community, do that very small thing at least. And, and I think if we can get that attitude, if we can get more people to, 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 do whatever they can do. I think that's going to help a lot, regardless of what government is doing. So what's um, what's interesting to me, I, I, I know that you had a bit of an incident where you and your family were out eating at a restaurant the other night and like gunmen came in and uh, your yeah. kids were with you and they actually saw some horrible things. I mean, you just want to quickly share that story because I think it's a story that so many of us can relate to. We, we're watching the Senzo Miyua case going on, which is also yeah. filled with violence and ugliness. We hear about you know, people in taverns in the Eastern Cape who've had to put up with outrageous violence. Soweto, there was an incident just the other day. Yours kind of links into these to just, again, if there's anything that ties us together as South Africans, it's that we've become so used to this stuff. Yeah, so so um, it was in, on, in June, it was my son's birthday, and uh, that evening sort of impromptly or... or, or um, Spontaneously, we said, "Well, let's let's go to Spur to have ice cream." You know, if you have a birthday at Spur, they sing for you and, and all of that. <laughs> and um, so we went there. It was evening. It was a weekend, and we paid. And uh, it was, I don't know, seven o'clock or something. And we we got up and we were walking towards the door. And what I didn't know at that moment was that I saw there were people standing at the door at the entrance at the pay point. But what I didn't know is they were actually robbing the place. And so as we were walking towards the door, um, the, we just heard, started hearing, you know, um, firearms going off, shots being fired. 
and and people you know everyone fell down um we fell we were basically 10 meters i'd say 10 yeah 10 20 meters from from where they were and uh, someone was actually shot dead i didn't know at that stage that it was one of the robbers and the guy as we would i jumped i had my son my youngest son who's two years old in my arms and we ducked below the table and the the dead body literally fell next to the table um, next next to us as we were lying there me and my oldest son I think what was a bit more um, alarming for us, I mean, that's very, very horrible. But at that moment, I have four children and the other two, I have four boys. The other two were playing outside at the play area. My mm. wife thought they were, she was, they were upstairs because it's, it's a spur with a play area upstairs as well. So she was upstairs just as the, the shots were being fired. She wanted to run down because there was no one up there. And then people just screamed to her, uh, lie down, fall flat. And she, she then did that. Uh, so she couldn't see anyone. She just heard shots. She heard people screaming, someone is dead. Um, and she didn't know where I was or where the children was. Um, the two boys who were outside then came running into the restaurant. First, the, one, one, the older one asked the six and seven. They were six and seven. The one who's seven years old asked people outside what's happening. And someone said to them, full flat, full flat they're shooting inside. Uh, fall down, they're shooting inside. And, and um, the other one, the, the younger one, ran inside. So his brother ran with him inside. And as he came into the door, uh, my wife actually saw him and um, she screamed at him to, to, to lie down on the floor. He just heard her voice. Um, I, when I heard her voice, I screamed at her that we were okay. And he then ran towards her. Um, so, and then the other boy came in and he heard my voice. So he ran towards me and it was quite scary at that moment because everyone was lying down. There were shots being fired and the boys were running, looking for their parents um, but what's, what's particularly bad about that incident is, um, so I was lying with my 10 year old boy and my two year old boy under this table next to the dead body. Um, and the body was between us and the door. So eventually we didn't know, we actually thought it was a customer. So we thought they were there just killing customers. Um, and, um, eventually when we got out, uh, you know, we had to step, basically step over the, the dead body to, to get out of the restaurant. Um, so it had quite an impact on, on, on the kids. I mean, you can imagine, sure. um, um, especially the older one who the younger, the, I mean, the two year old didn't understand what was happening. Uh, the other two boys understood, but not as well mm. as the older brother. Um, and, and, and I mean, they've been talking about it ever since uh, all the sure, time. Um, and, and, and I know there are people who've had much worse experiences in, in South Africa. I've spoken with people. Um, no, um, I mean, there was someone dead at this incident, but my family were unharmed, at least physically. Um, <clears throat> so it gives gives one a bit of a glimpse into the reality that a lot of people are facing in, in this country. I'm just glad that 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 we got out okay in, in that situation. I think we're all glad that you guys got out okay. And it's horrendous that we live in a society that is this violent, that does have all and, and with such impunity that there is no way um, that people get held accountable, you know, that it'll yeah. take forever. If ever they're caught, it'll take forever for them to go through the justice system. And it is absolutely horrendous. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry that you and your family had to go through this. I'm sorry anybody has to go through this. Yeah, ever. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just glad you told us that story because often we get into like intellectual discussions around what's right and what's wrong, and then we forget about people's personal experiences. I mean, there are parents all over the country who are grieving about 
incidents where their children are no longer around. There are just horrible things happening in South Africa, and we, we have to be realistic about what's attainable. And some of it yeah. isn't government's fault. Some of it is just our society that we live in. You know, we like to blame government for a lot of things, and politicians can take a lot of responsibility for, well, they, we wish they would, for some of the disasters around us. But a lot of it is like us having to look in the mirror too, figure out how we're going yep. to get along, how we're going to fix things, and how we're going to coexist peacefully and meaningfully and build something valuable. Um, so I'm glad that you got to share that story with us because it also just, um, you know, you, you, you tend to be like a lot of people who we see in the news and someone who's, you know, kind of outside of the reality that so many of us are going through. But I'm glad that you got to explain that, even though it's a horrible, horrible situation mm. that nobody wants to, to hear mm. anyone else go through. Anyway, listen, I know you and Pumi and I could talk for hours and hours, but we're out of time for this morning. There's still plenty. Can I say one thing before we go? Of course you can. Can I say just go one thing go, go, go. before we go? Because I cannot allow this show to end with such a, a blatant misrepresentation or misunderstanding in the comments there's quite a lot happening in the comments yes. but i just want to just you know john douglas in the comments i think john you are misunderstanding what i'm saying i'm not saying that the anc is the only one with policies i'm simply saying it would be good to hear what other people's policies are okay. other than the fact that they are anti-anc because mm. it gives us all an opportunity to interrogate what people stand for other than being anti-ANC. Right. It was like Jacob Zuma, get rid of Jacob Zuma, and then what? Mm -hmm. Here we are. We got rid of Jacob Zuma. Has our life become better? Has the world changed? Has, mm, you know, because <laughs> if you have one thing in mind without yeah. a plan going forward, you're still going to be fucked. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Another tirade. That is a tirade. So, Pumi's the quote for the interview. Well, there's there's a lot from Pumi this morning. Ernst, always good to have you on, and thank you very much for joining us. Um, we will talk to you again soon, and um, and keep us informed as to what you guys are up to. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on the show. It was great sure. talking to you. Ernst Roots from AfriForum, Pumi Mashiko, and we will see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Have an excellent Thursday. Cliffcentral.com